Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start this week by welcoming Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? Very well indeed, sir. Very well indeed. Hope you are the same. Indeed I am. This is our last official recording for Discussing Who in the year 2021. So as always, glad to have you here. As of this recording, it is December the 30th. It's a Thursday. We kind of time shifted our recording Mm -hmm. from our usual Tuesday. So that means that this will probably go out a few days later. Oh, so Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Happy New New Year, Year. everybody. Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's 2022 when you're listening to this. So literally time shifting for you guys. But who is not time shifted? Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you? I am doing quite well, and I will say Happy New Year to everybody out there listening, and hopefully we'll have a great 2022. Yes, indeed. And, you know, with you time shifting, I guess maybe you might have been 2022 or 2022. I don't know, but... 2020 also, 2020 as well, 2020. Yeah, let's hope not. You know, maybe you might even be in like a time loop or something. Maybe you might be stuck in a time loop because I hear... As of bef- this recording, that we will have a Doctor Who New Year's Day episode that features the Doctor and the companions stuck in a la some kind of time loop. So what do you guys think of this concept? Any thoughts? Well, I remember that they did that a couple of times on Star Trek The Next Generation, and it... Uh... I, I just found it tiresome. I, I, I don't like, I don't like that. <laughs> so yeah, by the, uh, by the time this goes out, we will have already seen it, won't we? The, the new Dalek story. I'm somewhat a fan of the Groundhog Day episodes. I can, I can go for one of those if it's done well. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you said Groundhog Day. That is a good example of the, of a time loop story that I think is done very well. So yeah, it, it, it definitely, it can be done. So let me ask you this. Do you guys want me to give which Kyle do you want to have respond to my thoughts? Snarky Kyle or nice Kyle? I'm always for nice Kyle, but uh, snarky <laughs> Kyle is probably uh, more entertaining okay. as a listener. Yeah. So nice Kyle would probably say, hey, it's a new Doctor Who episode on January the 1st, 2022. Can't wait to see it. Snarky Kyle would say probably... I would love this to be really good, but chances are it's written by Chris Chibnall, so blah. <laughs> well, well, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. And hopefully our review for that will be on the, uh, coming off the heels of this yes, one. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, I think I got that backwards. Not off the heels, but soon after. Yeah, well, you it would be off the heels, you know. <laughs> off the heels, yeah. Hills right, and it? valleys and yeah. peaks and whatever. But speak- We use these expressions all the time. and uh, You know, it, 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 only recently... And I'm not a young man. It only recently occurred to me that we use the expression head over heels, you know, to mean that you're upside down. But your head is supposed to be over your heels, isn't it? <laughs> I think the original expression was heels over head, but that's, it's, that's just hard to say. Yeah, not as catchy. Not no, as catchy. it doesn't work. Yeah. No, you're anyway. right. You know, and speaking of snark, I want to give a... <laughs> Thank you to two people who helped us out on our Christmas episode. I want to give a thanks to our friends at Eyes 9, Olivia and Narrator 2. That was 
Very enjoyable. So thank you. He is not narrator too. That's an interesting Freudian slip. I am not narrator too. Just anybody that's listening, you know, completely different person, but I've heard that they have downloaded all of my information. So there you go. Oh, and I I thought you meant Richard. I was going to say he is not narrator too. I I beg your pardon. Yeah. No, Richard was there as the alarm. Yes. Richard was alarmed. Literally. Is that not a good reference to keeping up appearances? Richard was alarmed. Was alarmed. (laughs) Okay. I am like off my, speaking of another phrase, I am off my rocker with this one tonight. So let's just (laughs) keep going. So guys. We're we're heels overhead. Yes. Off rockers, heels overhead, (laughs) hunkering down, all of that stuff. So, gentlemen, do you have anything Um, else before we get into the spoiler warning? Well, before we put the cart before the horse, uh, (laughs) no, I don't have anything. (laughs) You just wanted to say that. I wanted to say that. (laughs) Regardless of what anyone says, spoiler warning time. So, if you have not seen The Deadly Assassin, put us on pause. Go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, Spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky too. (laughs) Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out and we are back to review The Deadly Assassin. This was the third story of Doctor Who, season 14, first airing in four parts between the 30th of October and the 20th of November, 1976. The story starred Tom Baker and is the only story in the classic era where the Doctor is without a companion. So, summary view, initial thoughts. Clarence, I'll start with you. Summary view, what say you? I absolutely loved this story. Other than, there's a huge caveat, other than going into the Matrix or going into this otherworldly thing, I I didn't, an unnecessary episode there, I believe. But everything else around it is stellar. I'm wondering if this is going to be another one of these times where Clarence and I are just um, copying each other's notes. My summary of this was that it's a four-parter in which three episodes are great. And one is simply awful Um, (laughs) with with the further observation that unfortunately that does not make deadly assassin unique in classic who that's, Mm. this is not the only serial where you can say, wow, three of those, (laughs) three of the four episodes in this serial were really great. But, um, but there it is. Yeah. When it, when it's great, it's great. What a, and, and we're really deliberately shaking things up. We learn, we get a lot of stuff, um, that becomes part of Doctor Who canon, all in this four-parter. So uh, I look forward to our talking about that. Yep, I totally agree. And as usual, and as parkourse, I will totally agree to everything the two of you guys said. I agree that it could have easily have been a three-parter. That third-parter was, as I like to say, boring. It was so <laughs> boring it it was it was so boring to me but the rest of it for the history and the tapestry that it layered on i just thought was amazing so i want to go next to the title before we actually get into the story (laughs) the title deadly assassin 
Yes. Lee Shackelford, deadly assassin. It, that is a what uh, those of us who write and read, we know that's what you call a tautology. If some, it, it, by definition, an assassin is deadly. Um, so <laughs> that's it is the the dangerous person who does dangerous things, or you know, it's it's just a strange thing to say. Although Robert Holmes, yes, uh, I'm so the, glad you're going to say this. Go for the it. great the great uh, standard of uh, writers for. A classic who he pointed out that really this is not a tautology because surely there are assassins who aren't very good at it <laughs> um this this one succeeds i guess unless the point is that he's he wants to try to kill the doctor um which is odd because in part four we learned that the master did not want uh goth to kill the doctor so what was episode three about anyway so you know as Deadly Assassins go, this one is about on a level with uh, Le Bichon Freeze. Mm. On I, I was about to say, you know, if Holmes said, I mean, not Sherlock, Robert, if Holmes yes. said there are plenty of incompetent assassins, I was about to say, <laughs> I don't know if I know any hint, 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 incompetent yes. assassins. Right. LBF, Le Bichon Freeze. Freeze, but Yes. So yes, as as fans of Oz Nine, we uh, we were having trouble um, saying assassin without uh, saying it in an outrageous French accent. Yes, but but yeah, um, I, I I'm glad we had the spoiler warner out because I I was saying that the the deadly assassin turns out to be Chancellor Goth, who is played here by Bernard Horsfall, who's a a marvelous marvelous British actor who did a million things including previous appearances on Doctor Who, including one, and I just think this is amazing, Kyle? Okay, help me. He was a Time Lord before. He was the Time Lord in the um, War Games. Yes. Interesting. Which is either an astounding coincidence or a lovely attempt at trying to reach for some actual continuity. But... Um, the the doctor being exiled to earth is referenced in this script and the time lord who exiled the second doctor earth was played by bernard horsfall bernard i'm sure uh, bernard horsfall um so here he is again and it's it's really interesting if you know deadly assassin well this is sort of the way i did it i knew deadly assassin well and then i finally saw war games and we got to the end and i said holy smoke that's chancellor goth (laughs) (laughs) wow they, they brought out the big guns. But isn't um, that cool, though? It's very cool. I'm assuming he's unnamed in the other story. Yeah, they're just called, I don't well, are they even called Time Lords? Maybe. I think, mm. was that the first? Maybe I think this was the first, in the War Games, was the first time the Time Lords were actually called Time Lords. Yeah. Because remember, yeah. he just referred to his people. Even meeting, you know, the Mad Monk, um, mm-hmm. you know, he only said his people. I think the deadliest, I mean, excuse me, the War Games was, was War the games. first time we hear Time Lords mentioned. So one of the first we ever see, besides the Doctor and the Mad Monk, are played by is played by Bernard Horsfall. Hmm. So, and I guess while I'm talking about things like that, we have the Chancery Guards as characters in this, um, including the one called Hillred, who... Uh, 
he just gets ragged on by all of the higher ups. And I, I do love oh. that stuff for Hill Red. But one of the uh, next actors to wear that costume will be a handsome young man named Colin Baker, who cannot possibly dream yet that he is actually one day going to play the doctor. Hmm. But yeah. Yeah. And every time I see, I don't see him in that. It's just so weird to see five and six standing next to each other and not be. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Did you know who that is? But yeah, it, it, it accidentally establishes this thing that, that when regenerating the doctor remembers faces that he's seen. So you brought up a good point or something that I want to ask Clarence about. Did you have a problem with or did or what did you think of or did it even, you know, register because, I, you know, I could see it not registering that you had Time Lords die and they'd not regenerate? What did you think of that? Well, I did find it pretty interesting. I know that the last generation, last regeneration was referenced a few times in this story. But yeah, it would. I thought that there may be some type of rule since they're on Gallifrey that they can't regenerate or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was a bit confusing because there were, what, three or four deaths in mm-hmm. this <laughs> actual story? Mm-hmm. And the tissue compression, too. That might can be a factor of them not being able to regenerate. I don't know. I had a note about that because when we see the, the president get shot, big cliffhanger, tune in next week. Well, next week, maybe we expect him to get up and have a different face. <laughs> so then we have to wonder, is that part of what that, that staser gun will do? Um, mm. It kills you so quickly that you don't have time to regenerate, which is you know a, an idea that got brought up in uh, The Impossible Astronaut and, and other places. Uh, or was the president on uh, life number 12? It's almost like that would work if everyone else that got killed, we assumed, was on the last regeneration. Uh, or, mm-hmm. or, and it raises some uh, a point that I, I don't think I've ever thought about before. Are, is everybody on Gallifrey a Time Lord? Mm. Are Time Lords special even to them? I think I know the answer, but I'm curious, Clarence, what do you think? I would think yes, for the most part. But I also thought, thinking about that title again, The Deadly Assassin, that could be why it it makes much more sense here, because they can kill these Time Lords that has regenerations. So it makes them deadly Er, in this case, Mm -hmm. I guess. I don't know. So if the... Okay, so let's assume that the guards were not time lords they were shabogans for example right okay mm-hmm. so so that yeah. what is shabogans those are the ingenious uh or whatever the right word there is people of gallifrey okay never heard of them because because oh, indigenous yeah. indigenous yeah. thank you not ingenious mm-hmm. wrong word anyway um so according to chibnall seriously in the timeless child the Time Lord Society came out of a select group of people that Tectaean gives the regeneration ability to. So to go with that aspect of the Timeless Child, not all people on Gallifrey or are Time Lords. There are the Shabogans. And then there are the people who are in the Citadel who are Time Lords that are the 
ruling upper class that just by association or whatever become time lords, from my understanding. And, and, and we did establish that we have these different castes or groups of people at different classes mm -hmm. throughout the Time Lords as well in this, in this story. Right. Um, when they're talking about, um, the, 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 there's a quick exchange about graffiti and, uh, the, and um, one of the Time Lords there says that's something we have to keep the, you know, keep an eye on the Shabogans for. So, yeah, it does, it, it, which is just sort of a socioeconomic status joke. It's just sort of a, a mean, almost racist thing to say. So that's, yeah, this, this, this serial lays down things like that, that have just never come up before that the doctor is a Pridonian, yep. one of a sect of, uh, or, or family perhaps of, uh, time Lords. And, um, and that's very special. That's, um, just being born doesn't make you one because there's lots of people who were born on Gallifrey who just don't have these abilities or access to this technology. And, um, I don't know. So it makes him you know, kind of a spoiled rich kid. Yeah. Um, and who decides to steal a car and go motoring off somewhere um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, the, the grownups around him are, 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 are square. <laughs> you know? well, so much so that, that when he comes back with the Ferrari that he stole yeah. that they think it's ancient. Mm, right. <laughs> but see, I, I'll push back on that just a little bit. Now in this story proper, you're a hundred percent correct. But we learn with the 12th doctor, because, you know, this is four, we, but we learn with 12 right. that mm -hmm. the doctor had a tendency to not associate with the Time Lords, that he was a renegade even as a child and oh, yeah. basically associated more with the Shabogans than with the Time Lords proper. Yeah, which, you know, to me that that earns, you know, that that's rooting for the underdog and that that makes me like him. You know, because one of the things that we, whenever you can get the doctor to talk about Gallifrey, one of the things that comes up is how, um, oh, how, how pretentious and um, sort of self-satisfied they are and how stuck in their, their ways and, you know, focus only on their own, their own history and things like that. And, um, and so we get to see it all here. And it's one of the things this serial does for me is it is it makes me say, yeah, I'd have gotten out of there, too. Yeah. There's just a lot of things that make me want to run away. Not the least of which is if you if you notice in this serial, there aren't any women. Mm -hmm. um, if, ah. if, if this is a whole planet with no females. Um, yeah, I'm out of there. Um, ah. That would be a deal breaker for me. You're like blowing my mind because I well, <laughs> noticed for some reason. It, it, no, it's funny, though, that this is this is. Um, part of our cultural storytelling i mean if when you say to people uh, well i remember this back in the 70s we'd say it's a funny universe in star wars there's only two women and one of them dies in the first 15 minutes <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. apparently there's only one woman in the whole universe uh, you know just uh, whatever anyway but you, but you know it's interesting by the time we get to the next big or as i consider big time lord story you go to Gallifrey and the Five Doctors, which is 1983, and women are time, you know, they are represented as Time Lords in that story as opposed yes. to, 
this one. So it's like you just said, changing of times. That's where right. people saying, why are there women on Gallifrey? Yeah, I'm through with this show. <laughs> I think you're right. No, I think it's more likely that sort of the fan mail for Deadly Assassin said, what? <laughs> who is that woman who, who's the voice of the computer? Because we didn't see any on screen. Um, yeah. Bring back the bring back the eye candy for the for the dads. So we'll get Leela and and then then we'll get the doctor's next companion after Leela will be a time lady. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes indeed. Very yes indeed. Fred. Fred. Fred, yes. So while we're mm. talking about the Time Lords proper, one thing that really stood out to me, and I'm curious to know what you guys think is the politics around how they were presenting everything that was going on. And I just found it weird as a parallel to we even being a different country. And this is 1976. This is 2021. And there are parallels of things that we see. Case in point, GNN, Gallifrey News Network, and the guy reporting. Let's talk about him first. Clarence, what did you think about the guy, the roving reporter on the scene? Thoughts? I thought it was quite interesting. Um, I think the, the biggest thing I got from that is when he interacts with the doctor for the first time in the story, and the, and he recognize, recognizes the doctor as for who he is, but his face is different. So I'm like, is it, is it his eyes or does he have some pheromone? Like, what, mm-hmm. how does he know it's the same person? Cause he says he had several faces in between. So that's what, you know, got me at first. But as far as his portrayal being this news reporter reporting to the masses, I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, I don't know if there's much to say other than it was integral into this story of, of having as far as placement and this assassination and, when you think about today with our smartphones, you know, having a way to reel back the tape and see what actually happened. So it was integral for the story. But, you know, uh, as far as the spin, I really didn't get much of the spin part of it. But it was cool to see it in this story. I'm so glad you you, you asked about this because I was going to bring it up. Uh, I, I, I I feel that you're seeing something about um, American politics and history in it. And for me, you, we saw this dramatized in uh, the, the, the Crown. Um, for people who have, who have watched that series. Um, but it's true. The royal family did not want um, the uh, coronation of Elizabeth to be televised, even though tel- television is now a thing, you know. And so some people were saying, well, of course it's going to be on TV. Everything important is on TV. And, you know, the, the royal family said no. But it was um, Prince Philip who in The Crown is played by a marvelous actor whose name escapes me at the moment. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Matthew... Matthew something. Matthew... Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. That's it. Yeah. No wonder I forgot. It's not a very uh, memorable... I would have given you 11 choices. 11 (laughs) attempts, maybe. He is, is, I think, just terrific as as, uh, young Philip. But... um, but yeah, it really was uh, Prince Philip who, who said, no, I, for one thing, I want to have something to do in this because I'm not going to be the king. Um, you know, I, I will work on this. And, uh, and he really was responsible for getting the, uh, the event televised. 
And that was the beginning of the BBC being allowed behind, behind closed doors, if you will. And, but the guidance from up top was that this has to be extremely respectful always. And, you know, sometimes our commentators are not, we're not held by that. You know, we can get in there and be loud and kind of obnoxious, but the, the, the coronation of Elizabeth and the way it was broadcast, uh, set the tone for the way political and, um, ceremonial events like this are carried out. There's always an announcer who is, um, sort of, uh, the camera's up above him. So he's always looking down on him and he'll look up at the camera and say, and describe for people, even though there's a camera there, what's happening. And now the house of Lords is entering it. And as you can see, the Lords are wearing their traditional wigs and their ceremonial robes and, and each of them a certain specific kind of jewelry denoting that, you know, in, in that hushed, reverent tone. And, uh, so here, this is, a. Uh, uh, Runcible is uh, played by Hugh Walters, who is uh, another uh, actor who's just been in everything and is just playing a lot of a great variety of roles. But here he is perfectly nailing that that uh, BBC at the coronation thing. And, uh, and that must have been hilarious to people seeing that on the BBC in uh, 1976. Um, the, the joke is maybe a little lost on us in America here, but... Uh, I just, I just love it. I just love that they chose to do that that way. See, I love the fact that you gave the context because I was just looking at it from the sense of just having a roving reporter, not in the sense of what you just said, which is being in Britain, absolutely true. Yeah. So let's talk about the Time Lords themselves. We see, you know, we've already made reference to, but we've seen the different houses. This is the first time we see the outfits, I'm going to call them, the wardrobes, the pomp, the mm -hmm. circumstances, the headdresses that are now a part of Doctor Who lore. The seal of Rassiline we see for the very first time, a symbol that is now synonymous with Doctor Who. It was actually, you know, part of Doctor Who Potshock, actually. So... Oh, that's right. Yeah, remember that was that that logo was part of you know mm -hmm. that was featured yeah. in Podshot. So all of that being said, though, I found it interesting when the president is killed, how the chancellor and the higher ups were focused on crafting the public story, Clarence. Oh, yes, public story. What did you think? One of my favorite parts of this story. It was so good to where you had the Cardinal who was sort of like if you ever watched this show with, uh, wow, I'm, I'm forgetting her name now, but, but Olivia Pope, I forget the name of the show. But anyway, she was like this lawyer who lawyer fixer person who would jump in and fix situations when they go wrong. And lo and behold, this freaking Cardinal, Cardinal Barusa. He was amazing in this. He just came in, didn't miss a beat. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We had to spin the story. And I just, that was, I ate all of that up. I think that was like a awesome part of this episode. Rem actor reminds me a lot of the guy who played Varys on Game of Thrones. I should know the actor's name, but I don't. Hmm. 
Uh, but if they remade this this story, we would get Varys from Game of Thrones <laughs> to play that guy. Yeah. But yeah, he he he's amazing. Uh, Angus McKay, he's he's so awesome in this role. Oh, same. I just I just l- love that, and and you know you you have to have the feeling that this is something that really happens. Well, I mean, if you're a student of history, you know that it does happen all the time, and it makes you wonder. You know, how many times it's happened in your lifetime about things that were of importance to the rest of us. But somebody somewhere said, no, I don't like that story. Here's what happened. And then from then on, that is what happened. Yeah. I've just been reading uh, 1984 again. Don't ask me why. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's sort of what, um, what Orwell is all about there is, you know, it, it was the people who control the, the present also control the past and people who control the past control the future. Yeah. No books for yep. you. That's very, it. Very true. And, you know, look at yeah. the, look at the, what is it? There's a saying, history is written by the victors. Yeah. And that's basically what you're saying, that's what you just true. said, you know? Yeah. I was listening to a BBC show the other day talking about uh, the, the harm done by British imperialism over the years and and the person you know who had grown up in the uk telling the story he said i'm learning about this now we're not taught this in the schools and i thought wow i thought it was just us (laughs) 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 oh they do it to your school kids too yeah Yeah. you know you 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 know you look and not to get too deep but you know you go and you Go to any, I would assume, I know how it was, I'm almost 50, and I know how it was when I was in middle school, elementary school. You had this thing that was almost romanticized of this manifest destiny in America the Beautiful. When if you really look behind the curtain, manifest destiny was more of a horror movie than a great wonderful romantic excursion the path to genocide yes exactly yeah uh, yeah one of my favorite movies in the whole world is uh, from the the mid 60s uh, the the giant epic called how the west was won and i i just watched it again recently for the first time in, in many many years and i realized we got to this point where um, the, the family that we're following is moving west and and they're sort of moving with the uh, the explosion of uh, this immigration in America. And at one point, the, the narrator, great Spencer Tracy, he says, uh, and then there were the railroads, you know, uh, how, how you had to you know, blast your way through the mountain to make the railroad. And, and yeah, suddenly there are all these people on trains and there's trains going out there. And I thought, that's funny. I didn't see anybody building those railroads. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We sort of skipped that part, didn't we? Who built those railroads and how they got there. Um, you know, yeah. well, onward. Let's. <laughs> I, I have an answer for you. And, and yes, it, it's perfectly in story. The Time Lords slipped in in a fixed moment in time, built the railroads on Earth yes. in America, slipped out. Nobody noticed. That's how they got there. There you go. It was there time wasn't wars. there was there was nobody from Africa or China there at all. Right. <laughs> Unless okay. of course they were time lords. <laughs> but there wouldn't have been any women at this time. I, I nope. know that. 
<laughs> Apparently not. Oh. Where did the young uh, young Gallifreyans come from? Well, anyway. speaking of maybe not where they come from, but maybe where they go to after their 12th and final regeneration, you become a Kentucky Fried Master, per se. So what did you guys think of the Master's return at this point? Because I'll go, I'll go ahead and preface real quick. This is the first time the Master is seen post the last time we see Roger Delgado's Master. This is the first time we see Crispy Fried Master in Doctor Who after the unfortunate tragic death of Roger Delgado. What did you think, Clarence? I'll let you go first. What did you think of seeing this interesting, quote-unquote, version of the master well i guess i have a question back for you guys how did he become skeletor master like what do we know what exactly happened was that off-screen event it's off-screen um we you know every time we part for the master we always say well he's finished well maybe not you know <laughs> you know i meant to i meant to look this up um what what was the last uh, the previous roger delgado story or, or i should say roger delgado's last story as the master hmm. i know we did his first but i'm not sure what his yeah. last one was but yeah we we don't we don't see any of that on screen and so he turns up here again and um yeah um i hmm. I, I always thought of him as being uh, terribly burned also but um kind of watching it at a higher resolution this time and on a bigger screen <laughs> i was sort of squinting at that thinking i don't know it, it just eh. It actually made me think a little bit of, uh, I forget the name of the story, when, when Martha walked the earth, you had Tiny David Tennant. Yes. Oh, yes. The last yeah. uh, character. Mm-hmm. Right. Last of the Time Lords. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of remind me of that. Yeah. I, I think if we did it today, it would be a little more Harvey Dent, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 It just, but but, but considering the fact it was 76... And I don't think they had decided about whether or not they wanted to bring the master back full time. Maybe this was supposed to have been, let's kill off the character because he's, you know, the doctor makes the reference of this is the final end game or the final showdown or whatever. Maybe this was bye bye master and doing it the way they did it as a, but then again, he escapes at the end. So. Yeah, it, it it made me think actually. If is this what Chibnall was looking at when he created the Timeless Child? Um, and let me, I guess, clarify a little bit. So we established that with the power of the Eye of Harmony, the Master can in fact get more regenerations. It, even even this story is telling us that the power to regenerate was something they. Just like time travel, dependent on the higher harmony, is something they learned how to do. It's not something that's native to them. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's it's, it's just that. I just think that something had to allow Rassilon to be able to... Well, I guess I'm giving Rassilon the credit and not uh, Tecteum. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it give Rassilon the ability to harness the power of the Eye of Harmony on Gallifrey to allow time travel and as well as allowing regeneration. So what was the catalyst for him 
figuring that out. See, again, since you brought up Chibnall, and, and this is where I was going next, is I have this opinion that one of Chibnall's ideas in his time as showrunner of Doctor Who is to interject himself, his ideas, permanently, per se, in Doctor Who folklore, Doctor Who canon, Doctor Who whatever you want to call it. And the reason I say that is this episode sets so much awesome groundwork that Chibnall could have gone and used as a mining tool to bring something out of the past into the future and the out of the past into the future, they've mentioned something called the Celestial Intervention Agency, the CIA. And their motto for the CIA is the story changes, the ending stays the same. They sought to protect both Gallifreyan society and the web of time. They often violated the non-interference policy and operated in secret. So, division. In a division. (laughs) So why not just use Celestial Intervention Agency as opposed to creating something totally different and saying, well, you were part of division that basically either runs alongside or is completely separate or whatever, if you want to mine something from the past, you had something to mine right here. Yeah. He may have just felt that the CIA was was kind of a a cheap joke. um, Yeah. On the nose. (laughs) It's a little on the nose. But But he doesn't mind putting teeth on people's noses. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. There you go. (laughs) So what did you guys think of... The Matrix. This is, to my knowledge, the first time we hear about the Matrix of Gallifrey. And Lee, why don't you take this one first? What did you think of hearing about the Matrix, the concept of the Matrix, and any thoughts on how it could have been used or is being used in current Doctor Who? Um, well, it's an interesting idea. Um, the, we talk about the the processor power coming from the 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 minds of uh, of all these expiring time lords it is a little difficult for me to imagine that if, if i thought i was breathing my last that i would run to the panopticon so i can lie down on the table and have them siphon off my mind to become part of the matrix but maybe people had a different maybe time lords have a different ethos about that <laughs> um yeah. but it's funny we never hear the doctor mention it um so anyway, it, it, it clearly, uh, uh, IRL, it clearly exists so that we can um, strap the doctor into this machine and then we can go into an entire half hour of location shooting, which, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't find it interesting. And I've seen it on a lot of other TV shows, a lot of other uh, uh, science fiction and fantasy, and it always bores me. Um, I, I argue with, um, with people in the uh, Star Trek forum on uh, Facebook. I don't argue with them, but I, I disagree because a lot of them love, love, love this uh, third season episode where uh, suddenly we're uh, in a, a simulation of the Old West and our heroes are going to be forced into fighting the Battle of the OK Corral. 
Um, <laughs> and I just, I, it's so, so transparently to me, uh, coming from the poverty of the third season of that series and that we've got all these cowboy costumes and everybody likes a Western and, um, yeah. So let's just put them in one kind of for no reason. It just, it does. I don't know. <laughs> so the same thing happens here. So, so, um, the, the masked, uh, assassin is going to shoot the doctor from a, from a biplane or something. And he's going to, yeah, he's going to hunt him like uh, in the most dangerous game. And the doctor's going to shoot him with a dart. And then for some reason we'll, we'll stop the show so we can watch the guy cut himself and, uh, to pump out the blood from where he's been poisoned. Um, I just, I don't like the matrix part of this at all. And it is kind of just gratuitously violent too. The, uh, this is, this is the episode that really brought the, uh, the ire of some of the, um, uh, child safety groups, parent groups down on Dr. Who, um, uh, they've been complaining for years that the show was too scary for the kids. It was intended to be, <laughs> Uh, yeah, time slaughtered for but this one was just beyond the pale you know they said look this episode ended with the doctor's head underwater um yeah you you, <laughs> you can't do that at tea time Mm-mm. and yeah i i i got a lot of questions uh, i mean apart from the fact that it's cheap relatively speaking to just put tom baker and bernard horsfell out in the the bog or wherever they are <laughs> it's i don't know what do you think of the Matrix? Okay, I'm, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to bring uh, it over to Clarence. I'm going to say, and I'm going to see if you guys get this, what I'm saying. I've been waiting all episode to get good. to this one. A-L-I-N-C. A-L-I-N-C. That's my response. Clarence, what did you think of episode three? Okay, I have no idea what that means. I'll come back. <laughs> but, I'll come uh, back later and say A L I N C and tell you what it means. But what did you think of episode three? I mean, yeah, for me, I think it made me mostly think of the Matrix movie and how it's sort of kind of the same concept. Mm-hmm. Now I know the Wachowskis were inspired by stories, anime like Ghost in the Shell and Akira, right? But it seems like <laughs> maybe they were fans of Doctor Who too. And I'm sure this isn't the first time this type of story has been done. I guess Tron is kind of similar as well, mm-hmm. but right. but yeah, yeah, it's just it's just weird that we are going to do this whole other thing, and and I'm have to be real with you. As soon as it starts and they have this monotonous soundtrack over mm. it, and I just instantly could not keep my eyes open, which is really weird because the minute we went back to the normal story, I was like, mm. you know, I was pelt back up and back yes. into it, so. It's it's just as as Cal says, mind-numbingly boring. boring. <laughs> it's a waste of the audience's time. Yes, it is. Oh, and speaking of A L I N C, I did. I have to admit, I got to be honest. I watched this third episode because I wasn't feeling well at the time. I watched it on like times three or four. I watched it, but it was that times three or four speeds so i didn't really watch it It took me about six or eight minutes to watch the whole not 22 (laughs) so did watch it but a l i n c which means are you ready at least it's not oh my god really really chibnall (laughs) at least it's not chibnall come on man (laughs) 
to be fair, it's a reminder that even uh, you know a writer that uh, I admire and enjoy, like Robert Holmes, can can give us something that's just not yeah. uh, everything it could be. And so. and you know what? Let's go one step in the opposite direction of we're talking about what we saw on the screen and we were talking about yeah. historically. You know, I would love to know how many times someone in the production of Doctor Who back then said. It has to be four, it has to be six, it can't be three. And the writer says, okay, if you make me have four, and I really have, so that means two or three is going to be really bad. It's going to be a filler, but, you, but you're making me do four. Yeah. And chances are it's going to be three, right? And it's, it's really unfortunate because I feel like the other parts of the episode, as far as the set pieces and building the Pentopticon, and I thought all of that for the time that it was done in, I, it felt well realized. You did, you had a lot of costuming going, costuming going on for the first time. Um, you know, I thought all that was great. I really enjoyed all that, and the way we tear it all down at the end of the story, I, I was into all of that, but. You know, just to have this cheap episode, I guess, cheaply shot episode, I just feel like it didn't add to the story at all. So I have one other thing before I ask you guys if you have anything else. There was one complaint and really and truly episode three wasn't a complaint for me because I like I said, I fast forward through it. The only <laughs> complaint I think I have is we know that the doctor's TARDIS is a police box. And I'm going to put a little disclaimer here. If in the last scene of Roger Delgado's Master, if we would have seen his TARDIS and it was a grandfather clock, I'm going to totally disavow what I'm about to say because then I would have thought it was cool. But since I don't know or can't remember... I'm going to say the fact that it was a grandfather clock just kind of felt off and odd and out of place because I was thinking, <laughs> didn't somebody say, why is there a grandfather clock over there? Or more so, what is a grandfather <laughs> clock? Exactly. Yeah, you just complain about the stopwatch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now they got something else. Yeah. The, the Roger Delgado's last uh, serial was uh, Frontier in Space in 1973 and uh where he was up against the third doctor and joe grant yeah i need to see that again because i i think it's possible that he that the, his tardis was a well now i am inclined to go watch that now because i want to yeah. know if it was the clock or not because if it was right. totally totally you know, totally, totally cool if uh, it was. But still, the, the, we're, we're to understand that our, uh, our our elder time lords there didn't notice this piece of machinery that's never been there before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it is. It's just silly. They're so self-consumed that they didn't notice. <laughs> right. But we're not self-consumed because I'm going to yeah. ask you guys a question. I've come to mm. the end of my list, so I want to know if you guys have any other items on your list that we have not discussed. I got a bunch of them. Go for it, please. <laughs> well, me too. I I got a little list here. Go for it, Clarence. Go for it, Clarence. Since you yeah. spoke up first, you go for it. Uh, first, we get the scroll at the beginning of the episode, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. 
never, you know, never I, done I, before or since, I believe. Certainly never done really? before. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, we're getting this, this scroll that's giving us some of the backstory of the Gallifreyans, which I thought was, you know, I thought that was pretty cool and interesting. I also like the idea of, I do think a lot of things in this story were elegantly done. And even watching it a second time, I caught things that I didn't the first time as far as how, um, what's his name? Is it Roth? Yeah, Goth. Goth. How Goth yeah, was. Yeah. It should be a <laughs> how giveaway. Goth, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how, how Goth and, and the master were setting things up to put the doctor in certain places. It, the first time I watched it, it just went over my head completely. You know, how they trans transducted him into the the museum portion of the Capitol where he had access to all this stuff that pushed him along in his story. I thought all that was brilliantly written and done. Also, when you think about how the doctor gets this almost uh, minor minority report esque premonition, which surprising that's what they use these dead, dead minds for is for crime precognition things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I just thought it was brilliant how they said this, memory was sent into the doctor's psyche and that's how he thought he did it. You know, I thought all of that was done really well and it was interesting how they explained it too. This computer played a huge part in this story. And, you know, I, I think, I think of how they explained it and try to integrate it into how each step of the story took place. I think, I think it was brilliantly done. I really appreciate it. Other other than the Matrix part, I thought that was stupid. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I really just ate all of that up and thought it was really, really interesting. A uh, few other points, and I'll, I'll let Lee go because I don't run it out through all these. Gallifreyans believe in torture. That's one thing. That was uh, on my list. Vapor yes. <laughs> and vaporization without representation. <laughs> yes. Contact. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Can't they feel the fact that they're torturing the. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. I, I really didn't expect the torture thing. But the vaporization without representation, I really liked it when a doctor <laughs> spouted that out. Just brilliant. Freaking brilliant. And the doctor is so good. At, man, y'all gonna make me like Tom Baker. But he's really good <laughs> in the moment when he is has a mere hours to live, but he invokes his Article 17 and runs as a candidate for pres presidency. Well done, doctor. Well done. <laughs> And I don't know if you've thought it all the way out, but then uh, the other candidate, of course, is dead at the end. So, yeah. <gasps> and hence five doctors. And, and, and spoiler for future episodes, yeah. But uh, other writers will say, wait a minute, isn't he the Lord President of Gallifrey? <laughs> yes, he <laughs> technically is. So, yeah. We, 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 they will not let that drop. But uh, it's not mentioned in this episode, no. So good. Also, oh, I found it interesting that the Time Lords, their hubris, think they have the best technology in the world or in the universe, where it, it's just weird that they would even think that because they're time travelers. So anybody can come from any time in the future to their current point. And obviously their technology is probably going to be better, you know, from any world as well. So I found it funny that they think they just have the best tech and it the doctor sets them straight. Like, look, there's worlds with 10 times better tech than you have here. Why are you so, you know, think this is the best thing ever. Uh, and you know, I, I'll kind of end there. I think I've been rambling for a while. No, <laughs> it's fine. all good stuff though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about the, uh, the tech thing. Um, 
when I was making my notes, but that is, that is a great point. And it's, it, it is just this idea that what the doctor, why, why he wanted to run away from Gallifrey in the first place was that he just felt like it was, it was stuck, you know, that all of the people there who make the decisions, they just, they set down the, their stakes at a point and said, we now are the masters of time and space and we know everything we need to know. And so we don't need to know anything else. And he said, nuts yeah. to you. I'm getting out of here because <laughs> that's <laughs> obviously wrong. And just, yeah. Along those lines, we, I guess we always have to try to figure this out. They're time travelers, but they talk about things that happened in the past as, as one has to, right? <laughs> but yeah. the, the TT40 capsule uh, that the doctor calls a TARDIS has been retired so they don't make them anymore. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. But yeah, you know, so there's there's always that problem. But uh but I, I think it's fascinating that the Castellan and Hildred can re- can tell a retired TT forty on site, even when its chameleon circuit has it dressed up as this thing from Earth's history. Yeah. They just look at it and say, wow, it's a retired TT-40, if I'm not See, mistaken. something that we don't really make reference to that was referenced yeah. in the very first episode, it's alive. It makes it's a alive. sound. So I'm wondering <laughs> if they recognize it by sound, not necessarily well, by sight. It's like the thing that, uh, that Clarence brought up about, uh, about Runcible recognizing the doctor. I mean, he just sort of looks over his shoulder at him and says, weren't you... Aren't you a convicted criminal or something? <laughs> oh no, that's yeah. all forgotten, you know. So, and we've seen that other times that um, time lords seem to be able to recognize one another, regardless of what uh, where they are in their own timeline or what uh, face and form they wear. It's just it's just interesting. Obviously, it's a convenience of the storytelling, but still, it's an interesting idea that somehow they know um, this uh, this serial. Oh, what what else? Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask a quick question about that. Mm. Do we do we know if Gallifrey is is a Gallifreyan in his time travel adventures? Is he time locked to only appear back in his original time sequence? If that makes any sense, that would help to explain a lot of things. I'm trying to wrap my head around what you just said. <laughs> so say say they go and travel for forty years of. The Gallifrey's life, he goes and travels. Okay. When he comes back to Gallifrey, is he time locked to only be able to re-enter? 40 years later. For, yeah. 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 Mm. The, the, yeah, that he can't come in before he left. Yeah, that's the way they play it. Yeah. You can't but cross your own time stream, your own personal time stream. So if yeah. he was... I, so, so my understanding is he could be in the next room but he couldn't be in the same room that he was at at the same time in a previous incarnation right except when he Hmm. is except when he is a lot of the hard and fast rules of course just the fact that we're on gallifrey made me think about the fact that the next time uh the doctor comes to gallifrey he has leela with him which makes a lot of us sarah jane fans jump up and say hey 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 you couldn't (laughs) You said you yeah. can't take Sarah to Gallifrey, but Leela, <laughs> apparently. Okay, all right, whatever. But you know what I found interesting watching The Hand of Fear last time is the doctor says 
I can't take Sarah to Gallifrey. It doesn't say humans are not allowed on Gallifrey. That's true. That is true. But we've always, I've always seen it as humans are not allowed on Gallifrey. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that that's what I've always thought too. But yeah, maybe he's saying since he doesn't know what's happening. I can't take. Yeah. He's not going to. Yeah, risk her life that way. Yeah, or yeah, it 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 could be because he's banished. He's a criminal. Well, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to take her. That, oh, yeah. You know, he's going to put her in danger. Yeah, he... because that's very good. Because when he comes back with Leela, he, he's he's the president. <laughs> so, yeah, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, we we established so many things in this serial that that you know uh, this is the first mention of Artron energy. Um, oh really? The, uh, and the Eye of Harmony, and the Sash of Rassilon, and the Twelve Regeneration Limit. This is where it, it gets established. It's it's written in this script. Um, and I can parallel universes are mentioned too. Yes, that's right. Um, we open up all of those uh, all of those uh, cans of worms and look inside for a minute. <laughs> um, we see the Doctor's signature. Mm-hmm. Um, glimpsed on what? screen for just a minute. Yeah, he. Uh, they have the document. He leaves them a note, you know, and uh, inside the TARDIS. And when they, when the the, the Chancery guards find it, they uh, they note that uh, he signed it above the uh, royal seal of Prydonia. So they say, huh. oh, oh, he's a Prydonian. Hmm. But yeah, I, I can imagine that in the early days of uh, videotape, but there was a lot of video VHS worn out as people trying to go back and look at that uh, that signature again. And the uh, seventh doctor will give somebody a business card, which he claims to, which apparently has his signature on it. And uh, they don't look anything alike. <laughs> so uh, no, don't look for any continuity there. Um, they're getting ready. They're preparing the vaporization chamber. That connects us back to the previous episode where Eldred was supposed to be headed for the vaporization chamber. Uh, and, yeah. and we will finally see it used on a Time Lord in the TV movie. They will completely annihilate the Master. We're done with him completely until we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, the Panopticon, what a great name that is. That would, if I'm understanding the Greek parts, that would mean it, it, it's, it sees everything? Or it is the place where you see everything? Or the place where everything is seen? And of course, the first time we see it, it's on TV. So oh. interesting. I, the Panopticon. Oh, uh, it is well known that uh, by this point, Tom really wanted to do the series without a companion. And you'll notice in this episode, he ends up sort of muttering to himself a lot. Yeah, we could have been in for that for the rest of the series. Uh, so, some wiser heads prevailed and uh, came up with the idea of Leela. Uh, the fist fight at the end, I always think is a bit, a bit naff. Uh <laughs> There's a point where, kind of in his impotent rage, the, the master's hitting the doctor with the sash of Rassilon. He's just kind of <laughs> belting him with his piece of cloth. But, uh, and of course, the doctor whacks him with a with a big stick, which, um, the end. Uh, it, it's it's something, uh, I know we're always talking about Star Trek on this this podcast, but it's, it's the thing that's always bugged me about Space Seed is that Captain Kirk is now face-to-face with, with Khan, you know, who is uh, the, the genetically superior, you know, the, the vast intellect. And Kirk, you know, finally defeats him by hitting him with a stick. And so here are these two <laughs> geniuses, you know, and they're in Mortal Kombat, and the Doctor hits him with a stick. So uh, oh, what, what do we learn from our <laughs> fandoms? Hit him with a stick. Um, 
I guess that's really about all my my notes about that. Except that uh, because I love uh, Tom Baker's scarf, I, I I noticed that it appears and disappears as if by magic in this series. Uh, it seems to me like several times he leaves it behind, and then later on it he has it when he is putting his clothes back on, and at the end he's still wearing the sort of the undergarment for his uh, ceremonial robes. And um, he doesn't have his coat or his hat or the scarf when he gets back in the TARDIS. And I think he's left them somewhere in the, in the Citadel, (laughs) (laughs) but he'll be wearing them when we see him next in face of evil. They, at that point were like Nardle's hair. They were visible, invisible. They're they're invisible. Yes, I see. In certain areas of uh, Gallifrey, different garments are visible in different areas. There you go. Okay, (laughs) we're still naked underneath, though, right? There you go. Well, we're all naked as long as you're going to church, right? This is if you're going to church. Okay, so. Favorite quote and favorite scene, I'm going to roll them into one. It's a scene between Barusa and the Doctor. Barusa, as I believe I told you long ago, Doctor, <laughs> you will never amount to anything in the galaxy while you retain your propensity for vulgar facetiousness. I just <laughs> love that. that yes. So that's my favorite yes, scene, favorite You've quote. said so many times, sir. May I go now, sir? Yes. May I go now, Yes. Sir. So, Clarence, favorite quote yeah mine has been between hildred and the doctor hildred says or he exclaims you will confess doctor all right all right i'll confess very sensible i confess you're a bigger idiot than i thought you were says the doctor that's it all right (laughs) and gets rewarded with a new jolt of pain that (laughs) which he knew would happen all right lee favorite quote this is Castellan Spendrel uh, being wonderfully acerbic with uh, Hildred. Well done, Hildred. An antiquated capsule for which you get adequate early warning. Transducts on the very perimeter of the capital. You're informed that the occupant is a known criminal, whereupon you allow him to escape and conceal himself in a building a mere 53 stories high. Clever stratagem, Hildred. You're trying to confuse him, I take it. Oh, can we give a shout out to uh, which character was that again? That's, that's Castellan Spendrel. Yes. Yeah, he was so good in this in this story. He's he was so good. Yes, yeah, so and then at the last time when when he's telling Hildred to to go shoot the master, he says You're, he's already dead, so it's very unlikely that you'll miss. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, he he really oh. impressed me in this story. I thought he was great. He's a lot of fun. Well, my runner-up favorite quote is, do you mind? This is a non-smoking compartment. (laughs) And my runner-up is, so despicably good, so insufferably compassionate. (laughs) I I, I heard that again this time, and I thought, I hope that when I I come to my final end, that my (laughs) enemies will say of me that I was so despicably good. You know what I have to say to that? Hmm. The closing comment that we said on the end or at the end of the Hand of Fear, and I believe I said Lee Shackelford must live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, well. There you go. So we already know my favorite scene. So, Lee, your favorite scene, what was it? 
Oh, I just love the doctor sort of toying with Runcible and uh, while trying not to be spotted by the guards. So, and uh, he, he has to duck down at one point to not be seen. Are you all right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just a twinge there. Well, you would lead such a rackety life. <laughs> I'm just killing time with Runcible there, but, it, but it's, it's just marvelous dialogue and, and two great actors pulling it off. It's just marvelous. So I love that. All right, Clarence, what about you? Now, mine is going to actually be about the Matrix, which I hate it. <gasps> but there's a scene when the doctor gets his foot trapped in the train mm-hmm. tracks. I just loved how incredibly fast that train was moving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just cackled so hard when I saw that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we had to, had to undercrank a little bit. But... Yeah, it's the end but of the episode. Can, can you imagine having to wait a week to find out what... Yeah. And then get that disappointing episode afterwards? Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> and for, for your patience, you're rewarded with <laughs> 24 minutes uh, of the same. And back then, yeah. they did not have the luxury of fast-forwarding. No. Or, or, yeah. or time-syncing, or whatever it's called. Whatever, yeah. So the question about the actual assassination, do you think they were trying to mirror a bit of the JFK assassination and only in a sense of we get this subterfuge of the doctor being the man up there in the booth with the gun but the murder really happened from you know feet away from the guy oh, you know yeah. yeah i was gonna say i mean dr king was also shot from above like that but but yeah i see what you mean uh if if we are to believe the the the, the theories about the kennedy assassination it was actually somebody on the ground yeah. Yeah, and this is 13 years after that. So we've already had the the Warren Commission and all of our investigation in America about that. Huh. I wonder cuz the the destiny of Doctor Who is always tied to the Kennedy assassination, you know. <laughs> um like it or not. Interesting. So yeah, interesting theory. Yeah, I wonder. Interesting. And, you know, it, it goes back and I'm going to quote something our friend, the great Louis Trapani has said. It's, you know, put yourself in the time frame of the episode that you're watching. And the the idea of what you just said, Clarence, becomes even more true if you put yourself as someone who's making this in 1976. It That event is not so far removed as it is thinking back on it from 2022. Right. Exactly. So yeah, you, you may have hit something quite, quite true there, but what is quite, quite true is our final rating. So final rating, Clarence, I'm going to start with you. Final rating. What do you give this? I'm going to give this a 3.75. If I were to take out episode three, I would give it a five, (laughs) but, (laughs) But <laughs> I have to weigh it in there. Three point seventy five for me. Okay, of what? Three point seven five uh, tissue compressed Galifians. Ah, <laughs> All right, Lee Shackelford. What say you? Well, um, Clarence took my object, so. Uh, <laughs> but I have exactly the same logic. I just love Deadly Assassin. Parts one, two, and four. So I, I give it four sashes of Rassilon out of five. <laughs> you know, those will protect you from a black hole. You know that, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, Except I think yours has been damaged. Psych! <laughs> yeah. 
he's so good. <laughs> I'm going to go sort of like the price of Gallifrey is right. So Clarence, you said three point seventy five, and yes, you sir. said four. Lee? Four. Yes. I'm going to give it a three point seventy six <laughs> out of five, just because I'm just being snarky, and. I'm going to say it's 3.76 crispy fried masters out of five. Yes. There you go. Yeah. It's the eyes. That's the thing that always, always bug me is that I know that when, when bodies, when humanoid bodies get burned or whatever, your eyes are the first to go. I just, I <laughs> even, yeah. you know, when I first saw this, I was, you know, probably, you know, my late teens or something. And I just said, no, no, you wouldn't have lost most of your body and still have your eyeballs. That's just no. Mm. <laughs> makes no sense. It makes I, no sense. I actually can come up with an in canon explanation. Are you ready for this? Ooh. Oh, boy. Whatever the master did to themselves to give them the ability to mesmerize people impacted Ooh. the eyes and because of whatever that was to give that talent is why the eyes persevered how you like that well you know yeah yeah <laughs> i mean yeah you've, you've got a gift um because i'm thinking about um when uh in the tv movie the first time that we see the master all we see are his eyes see see literally so, yeah Oh, he's on a roll. <laughs> I, I, I'm digging it. I yeah. Well, you know what? Okay, I'm on a roll. You guys are digging it. How better to end 2021 than on a Kyle is on a roll. You guys are digging it, and I hope yes. for everyone listening, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to us, if you're listening to us in 2022, our hope to you is that 2022 is great that you have a great year for your family, yourself, your friends, and most importantly, stay safe, stay well. We'll be back with more episodes, of course, as 2022 progresses. Thank you for listening. And as always, we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.